Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. And the song we just sang, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, it's, that's basically Luke 2. So you kind of already heard the passage, but we're going to look at it in just a moment together. Uh, if you're not usually with us on Sundays, you, you see a, uh, the title sort of at the top of the screen behind me that says, Holding Out for a Hero. And if that sounds familiar, it, it may, because that's a Bonnie Tyler song, I think back in 84, uh, of a song of the same name, Holding Out for a Hero. And that's the title of this series that we've been doing of, of Advent. And Advent simply means an anticipated arrival, something that you're waiting for, an arrival. And that's kind of what the Christmas story is about. In that song, she says, where have all the good men gone? And she even says, where are all the gods? And so she's looking for some figure to come and do for her what no man can ever do, and that is satisfy some sort of a, a need. And so she says, where have all the good men gone? Uh, where are all the gods? She even says, we need a, a Hercules figure, who is a god and man, right? A half a god and half man, Hercules. And so uh, this Greek mythology. And so she's saying, we're waiting for someone special. Isn't that really what the Christmas story is? We're waiting for a God-man, and that's what today is, is the arrival of the God-man, although he is not 50% God, 50% man, but both completely, totally, simultaneously. Advent is an anticipated arrival, and today, Christmas morning, we celebrate that that arrival did come, amen? And one day he will once again arrive, and we anticipate that arrival as well. You know, the, the vibe of the Christmas story can be tender and mild. There are sentimental moments and images of sort of this cuddly nativity scene, although I think it was a lot more disgusting than a lot of the nativity scenes we put around. Probably, it probably was. But on the surface, I think that that's reasonable that it be sort of tender and mild. But behind the mild of that scene is the urgent. Behind the mild is the urgent, and the urgent scene is the scene of a hero and a rescue mission. That's the urgency of Christmas, right? That a hero was coming to bring rescue. Christmas is, and I said this last week, I think, Christmas is an invasion of God into the enemy camp to rescue the captive. That doesn't sound tender and mild, does it? That is an invasion of God, heaven come to earth, to bring an onslaught against the enemy that he may rescue the captive. That's the gospel, because that's, that's a praise God moment if I've ever heard one. And so what we're going to see in Luke chapter 2 is sort of the, the coming to fruition, this culmination of this series, holding out for a hero, and we're going to bring it to a close this morning as we look at the final figure, Jesus. We've seen Adam and Abraham and Moses and David, and it'd be weird if we didn't eventually get to Jesus on Christmas, right? So let's look at Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verses 8 through 14. So let's look. It should be on the screen behind me as well. <clears throat> It says, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We'll pause there for now, and we'll get to some of the later verses here momentarily as well towards the end of our time. The anticipation in our home began early. Uh, our oldest two kids, their birthdays are in July. I'm talking about you guys. Uh, their birthdays are in July. So I would say anticipation for Christmas started July 17th. 
at right after the last one's birthday. They started pretty early, and I think that our kids asked every day for the last four weeks, when is Christmas? When is Christmas? When is Christmas? Why do you think that is? Because they just couldn't wait to come to church. That's why, right? No, it's because they were waiting. They were longing for the gifts, the great wait. And, you know, we talk about kids in this way, but we also do this as adults. Maybe it's the big vacation we're waiting for or the sporting event you're looking forward to. Maybe it's when you buy something online and you're so excited for it to come. You're watching for the UPS delivery to arrive because we also, just like our children, we don't really like waiting very much, do we? We call that impatience, I think is the word. We don't like waiting either. We long for the great prize, and the longer we wait, the more eagerly we anticipate. And when the gift is finally received, its value is multiplied in our hearts, right? That's the story of Advent. A long wait, the delivery, the celebration. A long wait indeed. And you can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 for that wait. But even in the, at the end of the Old Testament, chronologically, you have a 400-year period of silence where there's no prophet, no voice from God, 400 years of nothing. And then suddenly, not to rulers, not to the wealthy and the important, but to lowly shepherds. God speaks through a messenger, an angel of God. Look at verses 8 and 9. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Sounds like a normal night, right? And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. How about that reaction, right? You paint a picture here, and that is this dark night, the starry night, a regular work night for these shepherds. They're just working the late night shift, right? And then something supernatural occurs. This is the glory of the Lord suddenly, boom, shone around them. What did this look like? Well, we're not really sure. In the Old Testament, you see that phrase, the glory of the Lord, and it sometimes looks like a bright light. It may look like fire. It may look like a cloud of smoke. And we kind of talked about this not too long ago in Hebrews, but some of the images that we looked at of maybe what realistic angels looked like, you guys remember seeing those things on the screen? We're not talking about the little with the halo. No, no, no. That's not what the biblical angels really probably looked like. More like fear, right? Well, they said fear not for a reason because it was probably terrifying. Suddenly this massive figure that's so glorious appears and these guys are stunned. Main thing here is that it defied logic, caused the shepherds to become fearful. Why? God was finally, gloriously breaking the silence. Lighting up the darkness of this world with his glory among men. Heaven's heroic rescue mission invasion into a fallen world. And the angels comforted these guys. They explained that this holy night was not one of fear, but one of joy. Right? The exact opposite of that. If you're taking notes this morning, which if you have kids in front of you, you're really down for a noble task. But I want you to see kind of the direction we're going anyway, and that's a couple of things. The first one is this, that we're looking at this passage, and that is to consider the source of joy. Consider the source, right? Where did, where did the joy come from? Why can we be joyful on this day and, by the way, every day for all of eternity? Why can we be joyful? We need to consider the source. You know, we have a tendency to breeze through the words that we've read and heard a hundred times or more. Got to just breeze through them. But I want you to look very closely with me at the verses that we just read and one that we're going to read now in verse 10. Look very closely. The angel, the messenger, said to them, Fear not, for, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Guys, you could take our entire time this morning and look at every single word of that sentence and be blown away. They sure were. He says, fear not, behold, bring you good news, 
great joy that will be for all the people. Good news, great joy for all people. You know, the Bible wasn't written in English. It's been translated over a long period of time. It wasn't written in English. It was written, the New Testament originally written in, in Greek. And so this word, <clears throat> bring, I'll, I'll bring you good news, would have been one word. It's one verb, and we kind of draw it out to make it make English sense to us. But the word there is, is a verb that we typically see as a noun. The, the verb would be gospel. What the angel is saying is, I gospel you. What am I doing? I, I gospel you today. I'm bringing you the gospel. Rooted in, he says, right? Not. Behold, good news, I gospel you of great joy. Why must they not be fearful? Because it is rooted in joy to the world. What is this gospel news? What is the source of our joy? The next thing in verse 11 says, for. So he says, the reason you don't have to be afraid, the reason you can be full of joy, for. Verse 11, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's the opposite of fear, right? Why can you be joyful? Because a Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. Now, that's a strong claim. A Savior is born. That's a very strong claim. You only give a Savior for one reason, and what's that reason? <clears throat> Someone needs saving, right? Someone needs, it's not rocket science, folks. Please follow with me, okay? You only give a Savior for one reason, and that's because someone needs saving. Some of you guys opened some presents this morning. I'm just guessing. Raise your hand if you received uh, gum or breath mints in your stocking this morning. Some of you did gum or breath mints, they're sending you a message. <laughs> why would you get that if not for a reason, right? See, the gift sort of tells you why the gift has been received. Guys, if your lady gave you some new drawers this morning, it's time to say RIP to Old Faithful. Because the nature of the gift tells us something about the need, right? Here's the gift. Why am I giving this gift? Because there's a need that is sort of backing it up, that is behind it. God sent a Savior because we need saving, God sent a Savior. A Savior was born because you and I needed saving. Romans 3, 23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How many people have sinned? All have sinned. Romans 6, 23 says that the wages of sin is death. Those are serious consequences. Isaiah 59, 2 talks about that death and sort of elaborates and says that it is separation from God. Now, why do we need a Savior? We need a Savior because sin has devastating consequences, and every person in this room sins. We have a problem. God would not have sent a Savior if not for the need of saving. And not just any Savior, but it says a Savior who is Christ. You know, Jesus Christ. Although Christ wasn't Jesus' last name. Sometimes they say it wasn't like on his mailbox, Christ, comma, Jesus lives here. It's not the way that it works, right? Christ was a title. It was, it was who he was, not by name, but by title. It was ascribed to him. It's the same word for Messiah. It means anointed, different, special, selected for a special task. He was the Christ because he was the one who would pay those wages for you and me. He would take on death that we could take on life. See, the Christmas season is about birth. But Jesus was born to die, that we may live. That's why John 3.16 says that we may not perish, but have eternal life. There's a reason, right? That we wouldn't perish, that we wouldn't suffer the wages, but that we would be given a gift, life. And God's heart on the first Christmas starry night was not just a cradle, but a cross. And for us who believe, it says, 
They bring us good news, the angel, good news of great joy. Don't you see that this gospel news has a response? And the response is joy to the world, right? Good news with a response, joy. And listen, I don't want to be ignorant of the fact that for you this Christmas season, listen, it, it may be filled with happiness. It may be heartwarming, exciting, relaxing. Or it may be stressful. It may be depressing. It may be a reminder of loss, of hurt. It may be sad, lonely, discouraging. And I always say, some may say, Pastor, don't you want to keep it light? It's Christmas. There is no one that needs to hear a message on Christmas Day more than someone that's broken. And you may be several of those emotions. But whether you are today experiencing heartwarming or heart-wrenching, I'm here to tell you that you can be joyful. Because great joy, listen, this is what it says, good news of great joy. Great joy is not based on what you have or don't have in this life, but on the good news that grants you eternal life. Far be it for us to let our joy rest on what is here, because in an instant, it can be taken away. Our great joy does not lie here. It lies in eternity. Praise God. Consider the source of your joy today. Secondly, is to consider the sender of the Savior. To consider the sender of the Savior. You know, Jesus gets a lot of attention on Christmas. I guess he should. But also, don't forget the Father who sent him. Consider the sender of that gift, that Savior. The next thing that's going to happen in verse 12 in just a moment is that the angels are going to, or the angels are going to say there's a sign, right? And, and a sign we saw not long ago in the book of John when we went through the entire book of John on Sunday mornings that a sign is there to prove God's at work. So when it says a sign has been given, it's God's at work. And I want you to see proof of that. The angel is going to say in verse 12, the most important event in human history has been revealed by Almighty God to you, nobodies. <laughs> Shepherds, you're just nobodies, and God has revealed the most amazing news ever to you. Don't believe me? Go that way. You'll find a swaddled newborn baby in a barn laying in a feeding trough. That's a sign, right? That's not just something you see on a whim. He's like, something weird's going to happen, and that's when you'll know that God is at work. Look at verses 12 through 14. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was with the angel... A multitude, thousands probably, of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Your translation may say, Peace, goodwill toward men. The reason for that is the translations are sort of different there. Also said that it's likely thousands because of instances of this phrasing that we see in other places. They came proclaiming that this birth was for the glory of God for bringing peace into the world. And again, your translation may be a little bit different. It may say peace, goodwill toward men, but there's some debate on the correct vocabulary used here, and so there's a translation difference, but the message of each is roughly the same, and that is that through the birth of Jesus, God is showing great favor to mankind. That's the message, right? Through the birth of Jesus, God is showing great favor to people. The main thing here in this verse 14 chorus of the multitudes of angels is that the army of angels are worshiping the one, listen, who this birth is truly about. 
They're worshiping the one who this birth is truly about. See, the reason I say that is that God's top priority is making himself known as great, glorious. That's God's number one priority. And he loves us, but his number one priority is saying, give me the praise, give me the glory. On December 2nd, there was a building fire, an apartment building fire uh, in Dorchester, Massachusetts. There was a little boy, a third grade boy, so maybe eight or nine years old, his name was Hassani Little. He was asleep and he became aware of the fire. He woke up his entire family, his brothers and, or his siblings and his mother. He alerted his neighbors as well. And then he made sure that everyone, again, a little bitty boy, small child, third grader, he made sure that everyone was evacuated from that, the apartment, the apartment building before he came out and he let the firefighters run in and take over. Emergency responders said that his bravery led to the rescue of his mom, his two siblings who were ages three and five, and his neighbor and her newborn. Guy's a hero. There was a ceremony celebrating his bravery at a local library, and uh, at the ceremony, the hero, Hassani, he didn't have much to say about what was going on at the time. He was really a few words, and they said, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you think he said? Fireman. He said, I want to be a fireman. You see, the focus of that ceremony wasn't the boy's mom, it wasn't his siblings, it wasn't the neighbor, it was the hero. You see, the saved don't get the attention or the acclaim, they shouldn't. The one who does the saving should. The Savior does. You know, sometimes I think about when Jesus said, Lazarus, come out, when he raised Lazarus from the dead. You notice what happens after that is not that, that you know, they probably didn't run up to Lazarus and say, hey, Great job, Lazarus. You did it. What do you think happened? They looked at Jesus and said, what did you just do? Who can do that? The Savior can do that. You see, praise is reserved for the Savior, not the saved. Christmas is a party, and we need to make much of the birthday boy because he grew into a man who would bear the weight of your sin so that you could bear the embrace of God's love. What a guy. What a hero. What a savior. Verse 14 is shouting literally the praise of God, and God receives the glory. But you and I, notice the second part of that, that you and I receive a blessing there. Yes, God is so focused on making himself known as great. He always says, do this for my name's sake. But also there is a blessing to be received by you and me, and that is that we receive peace. This is not a very peaceful world, is it? This message of peace is one that is precious, man. How do we receive peace? It says on earth, peace. Jesus is elsewhere called the prince of peace. Romans 5, 12 refers to us as enemies of God. Now when you talk about peace, that means the opposite of conflict, right? If Jesus came to bring peace, then necessarily that means the opposite exists without him, right? Conflict. And that's why that verse, Romans 5, 10, refers to us as enemies of God. Naturally speaking, we come into this world hostile against a holy God, shaking our fist at him. I want it my way. Hostility. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us us. While we were still hostile, he came and brought peace. Romans 5, 1 says that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, as recipients of amazing grace and divine peace, 
We should be extensions of that peace, should we not? There is plenty of conflict in the world. You don't have to help. You don't have to be addition to that conflict. Be an agent of peace because of the peace that you have received in a world full of conflict. We are given peace to be a source of peace to those in our lives. Your friends, you should speak peace into the lives of your peers, not conflict and turmoil. Be an agent of peace in your marriage. Keep peace. That doesn't mean never to have conflict. It means to be someone that seeks to resolve and reconcile over all things. In your vocation, be a person of peace. It means to wear things like grace, forgiveness, giving the benefit of the doubt. Be an encourager, not a discourager. Be an object of light, not one of darkness. I think it's so profound that on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. There is a great way for you to be a lot like Jesus. And it's not to be part of the pot stirring on social media. It's to be an encourager and to be an agent of peace in this world. You want to stand out in this world? Be a peacemaker. In your home, be a peacemaker. I think our response to this passage is one that we can really empathize with in verses 15 through 20. Look at these, and I'm going to make just a couple of observations. Verse 15 says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, so the angels disappear, and these guys look at each other, and they go, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, quickly, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. That's Jesus. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. So they told them about it. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary, I love this, treasured up these things, all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told them. We see a few responses here, right? We see excitedly having conversation about what God has done. You see privately people being personally awestruck with the wonder of God. And you see Mary quietly pondering in her heart what had happened. But don't miss this. The response to the first Christmas in that stable was not only to celebrate the gift, it was to praise and glorify the giver. That's what was in the heart of people that night. That's why, you know, you kids, kids, can you look at me for a second? That's why your parents always say, read the card. Read the card first. Read the card first. And you're like, I want the gift. Give it to me. They're like, wait, I'll take the card. Does it have a gift card in it? I'll, then I'll take that. Money? Is there, why is the card so important? Because when the gift is in a landfill one day, you will still have the relationship with the giver. The giver matters. The sender matters. Guys, the true gift of Christmas, before it was in a manger, was in the heart of our God. Before that gift came here, the gift of God's love was there, always. I want you to understand that God's gift on Christmas was motivated by God's love in eternity. And yes, even for you, Some of you guys feel really unlovable. You may be dragged here today by family. And you think, what in the world is this guy talking about? This message is as 
profound that we could search it forever and never find the bottom of the barrel. And it's as simple enough for a child to understand. God loves you. He loved you so much that he would send a savior for you that you could be not hostility with him, but reconciled to him. A beautiful message. Raise your hand if you're a kid that would typically be in children's church right now. Raise your hand real high. You can stand on the chair if you want to. I don't care. Raise your hand real high if you would typically be in children's church right now. Now, raise your hand still if you want one more Christmas present. Hudson, come here. I have a Christmas present for you, Hudson. We can come down here, okay? Do you want to be on the stage? You want to? We can. This kid, you don't like attention very much. I have $5. I think it's $5. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five. See? I got $5. Do you want this? You do? Okay. What if, hmm, what if I like, and by the way, this is not original to me, okay? What if I just want, like, you still want it? You don't want it? Has it changed? No. You still want it? Okay, somebody else want it? <laughs> Anybody? You sure you don't want it? Mm-mm. All right, who wants it? Sadie, come here. Okay, you still want this? What if I like... You still want that? What about... What about now? You still want that? Why do you still want this? Are you telling me that the value hasn't changed? Then you can have it. Go, I'm I'm serious, take it. Get out of here. That money was, was beaten and bruised and dragged and stepped on, but its value never changed. Some of you guys need to know today that you've been through it. You may have been through abortion, tremendous loss. You may have been raised without a family. You may have been divorced or beaten or abused. You may have been addicted to drugs. You may have been spent most of your life not full of God, but godless. And you come into this place and you think, how can he love me? It's because the circumstances of life can drag you and beat you and tear you up. But to God, your value has never changed. You know, John 3.16, the verse that you may have heard before, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave. We focus on the second part and sometimes miss the first part. You don't get the second half of that verse without the first half. You don't get the gift of not perishing but eternal life without the God who loves the world. The word for world there means the ones that are way, way off, the ones that are opposed to him. You don't get the gift without the God who loves you. You see, God's gift to you 
was motivated by his love for you. We won't read it, but in Matthew chapter one, Jesus' genealogy includes a liar, a thief, the prostitute, the foreigner, the adulterer, the murderer, the failure, the greedy, the foolish. Hear me say this. The family that he came from reflects the family that he came for. I heard that this week, and I was like, I've got to share that. The family that he came from reflects the family that he came for, church. The name of Jesus is the way that this ends. It says, verse 21, at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. We talked about that just a moment ago. The angel appeared to Joseph and said, you're going to see this baby. You're going to call him Jesus for he will save people from their sins. The reason he said for, because, you're going to name him that because this is the reason. Because the name Jesus means God saves. It means that. It's two things broken into two. Jesus or God saves. This is what Jesus' name means. Why did the angel say you're going to name him Jesus? Because he's going to be a savior. He's going to be a sign that God is in the business of saving people because he loves you. We started with Adam, then Abraham, Moses, David, and finally Jesus. In Adam, we saw bad news of great despair. A promise, though, in Genesis chapter 3, now we see good news of great joy. In Abraham, we saw, through you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And now we see a Savior that will be for all people. In Moses, we saw a Savior to free the captive and bring peace. By the way, in the burning bush, the glory of the Lord shone around him. He said, you're going to go be a Savior. And now we see again, the glory of the Lord shone around men. A Savior has been given. In David, The city of David, one that he would eventually bring to be. And now we see here in Luke 2, in the city of David, the eternal king, not the one that will find a grave, but the one who will be vacant, vacating a grave. The city of David, a savior, an eternal king was born in his name, Jesus. For he would save people from their sins. What a beautiful name it is. In response today, I want you to take time today to remind yourself and your family where the true treasure lies. I want you, like Mary, to take a moment today and ponder him in your heart, to praise God, like the shepherds that left, glorifying God, to praise God that today is about more than gifts under a tree. It's about the gift that came in a cradle, bore a cross, but where's a crown right now? That you may not perish, but have eternal life. And that gift is for all the people. Today, if you don't know him, today can be the day of salvation. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth, say, God, I'm a sinner. I am the one that's broken. I am the one that's hostile. And believe in your heart that God sent Jesus to be crucified to pay your punishment, death, and be resurrected and empty a grave, that if you believe in him, you too may have eternal life, man, to make him your Lord because he's your Savior. Today you can do that. And what a day to do that. Christmas. Man, praise God for the indescribable gift of a Savior who is born. Good news of great joy.